If you have a Bible, turn with me uh, to the book of Genesis. Let's go to chapter 16 and chapter 17. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks and then on Wednesday, when we return from uh, our yearly conference that we go, it's called the Southwest Conference for Pastors and Leaders. And uh, it incorporates all the Southwest Calvary chapels. And so we've been going for many, many years. And we had about 12 people from our church uh, that attended uh, the teachings in Tucson. And uh, it was just a beautiful time. And so uh, the topic that was chosen by the guys, Abraham, man of faith. And we spoke about the promise. And while we were there at the conference on March uh, the 12th, uh, was our celebration. Mary and I uh, had been here already now for 33 years. And so it was significant for us uh, to go through uh, the teachings of Abraham, man of faith. Now, I was not 75 years old when I was called out to ministry, but I felt uh, I was older than most of the guys at our church at 33 years old uh, to get up and, and sell everything and to move our family at that time, we had three children. Uh, it was not an easy task. And I have to say that the first five years were uh, very difficult times, uh, times that we wanted to move back. And obviously, uh, God called us here. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, one of the reasons we couldn't move back is because we couldn't afford to move. And so God made us to stay. And he taught us so much. And we have to have that faith. And so maybe you're here this morning in the last couple of teachings and uh, you say, well, what do I need faith for? I I'm not going to get into the ministry. Uh, when we speak about faith and, and you think of the logic behind it, it's obvious that we need faith to come to saving grace. It's obvious we need faith to believe that God has saved us. And it's obvious that we need faith as, as a husband, as a wife. Uh, to be a, a family of God. And dad, you need faith to raise up your children in the ways of the Lord. And uh, we get into our schooling, we get into our education, and we apply at, at various levels in the university, or it could be a trade, and, and yet, again, by faith, we want to learn more because now I want to provide for my family. And, and so faith is a factor that's part of my life. In all reality, by faith, you came here this morning, uh, wanting and, and ready to receive from God. And, and some, I, I find through the years, you know, I, I really did not want to come to church today, Pastor Bob. Did not feel well. Uh, maybe the wife and I had a battle uh, prior to. Uh, my kid is driving me crazy. And, you know, I don't need to go to church today. Well, see, that's the enemy. And so you need to come by faith. And so Abraham had to learn so much by faith. Now, we want to look at the continued promise. And up to this point, Abraham has left Ur, his hometown, which was Babylon, Mesopotamia. And what's interesting, it was the seat of idol worship. And then we're, we're told that uh, Terah, Abraham's father was an idol worshiper and a high priest in Ur. 
And so the question has always come up. This is Father Abraham, the father of a nation. Basically, uh, the beginning of Judaism, the beginning of the Hebrew race. And yet, there are those that say, well, Abraham was not an idol worshiper. If he was in Ur, if he was in Babylon with his family, his dad being a high priest, I have to say that he dabbled in it. But somewhere, God saw his heart. Just as God saw my heart and he saw your heart. We were all dabbling into something. It's called sin. And God desired to use us. And first of all, he wants to save us. And so Abraham comes, listen to this, from an idol worship family. Did Abraham worship the idols? I'll leave that in your own discretion. But one of the things that ministered to me years back is that Abraham was 75 years old. And I mean, at 75 years old in our culture, in our time, uh, it's time for retirement. In fact, you probably uh, have been retired at least five or maybe 10 years. And so imagine Abraham at 75 years old. Now, obviously, in the Old Testament, they lived much longer. But I want you to think of being 75 years old. Uh, Sarah is your wife. There's no children. And we're going to deal with that again this morning. And God says, I want you to get up, leave your country, uh, leave mom and dad, leave the place that you love, where you were raised, and then move. And in all reality, as we've been studying Abraham, he really did not know where he was going. But God said he was going to make him a, a great nation that would come through Abraham. And so by faith, he steps out. Now, I want you to leave a marker there in Genesis chapter 16. But I want you to go ahead and, and find Hebrews chapter 11 for me. I just want to take you real quick through the steps of faith that are spoken about in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews in chapter 11 has often been called the heroes of faith. It's been called the faith chapter. And so we, we find uh, uh, the Old Testament saints uh, that rigorously went through their trials, their tribulation, their hardship, their pain, and even martyrdom, even death, obviously. But it was by faith that God used them. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, I, I want to take it through the first few verses here. Uh, but verses 1, 2, and 3, I want to go all the way up to verse 7. 1, 2, and 3, he speaks about faith and the heroes of faith, those that believe. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation, and so there might be a little bit of a few words that are different. But he begins here in verse 1, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually take place, actually happen. It gives us assurance. And basically, confidence and assurance are two words that mean the same. They're synonymous. About the things we cannot see. Abraham had no idea where he was going, but he stepped out by faith because God called him. In verse 2, it says, Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. This is Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Jacob, Joseph. And the, the list goes on, these men, these women uh, of faith. And yet, they had a great testimony. In verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. And what we now see 
did not come from anything that can be seen. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If you look at the word created in the Hebrew, it actually is the word bara. You and I, if we're building, uh, let's say, a table, and we're making it out of wood, well, we obviously have to purchase wood. And then we might use glue, or we might use nails, or uh, whatever, you know, the type of building that you were going to do. But we're going to make something. And so you need materials. The word bara, God said, light be, and it was. He brought forth the sun, the moon, the stars. He created the universe, the vastness of the universe. And now, uh, in our knowledge and our technology, we know so much more. And honestly, for me, I cannot believe that these things evolved. I cannot believe that there was an explosion and everything was put right into place. I believe that there has to be a creator. I believe that there has to be the divine appointment from God. And again, you're going to have the argument, and I've always been one that says in the school system, uh, go ahead and teach evolution. I'm not against that. But also teach creation. I think it's important and, and give the people a choice. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In verse 4, we go on, and it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain. Abel's offering gave an evidence that he was a righteous man. And God showed his approval of his gift. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by the example of faith. Now it's interesting because people will categorize Cain and Abel. Uh, Abel was basically a farmer. And so he brought forth the produce. And he gave from his heart. Uh, but if you look at uh, uh, Cain, he was a herdsman. And so his offerings were meat offerings. And there are those that say, well, God, you know, accepted the meat offerings uh, more than the vegetable offerings. And that's not so. God receives all offerings. But the concept of these two brothers, one gave from the heart and the other one gave grudgingly. The other one gave of necessity. The other one gave because he was told to give. But it always should come from the heart. And so Abel had this type of faith. Notice in verse 5 it says it was by faith that Enoch, and, and we understand that he was taken. Here's a picture of the rapture of the church. And by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He, he disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken, listen to his testimony. He was known as a person who pleased God. And if you've been a Christian for a time, I hope and pray that that's your desire. You want to please God. I don't want to please man. I hope you're not here to please Pastor Bob. I hope you're not here to please Calvary Chapel. You have to be here to please God. You know, we're here to instruct. We're here to teach. Uh, the fellowship here, we have a, a building, and God provides these things. But by faith, Lord, minister to me. Lord, uh, give me wisdom. Now, it's interesting that he speaks about faith in Hebrews chapter 11. I believe the writer uh, is Paul the Apostle. There are those that disagree, 
And so we will leave it at uh, the Holy Spirit gave to Paul or the Holy Spirit gave to somebody out uh, to pin this beautiful book. The faith factor is very important. I want you to write down three, three verses here. Jesus said, have faith like a child. And you can pick that up in Matthew chapter 18, verses 2 through 4. Now, there are those that say it doesn't, it's not referring to children's faith. It's referring to the humility of a child at such a young age. And yet, isn't faith involved when it comes to humility? And so the next stanza, Jesus said, have faith like a mustard seed. We're all accustomed to that. And so in Matthew 17, 20, we see the mustard seed faith. And if you know anything about the mustard tree or the mustard uh, branch or bush that comes forth, this little tiny seed that is so insignificant, uh, you put it in the palm of your hand, and honestly, uh, if you breathe on it too hard, if you sneeze, it's gone. You're not going to find that thing, and it's so minute. And yet from that grows this great shrub. Jesus said, have that kind of faith. One more, Jesus said, have faith that you can move mountains. you find that also in Matthew 17, 20. But I want to take it to another passage, Matthew 21, 21. And so what is Jesus saying? Because there are days when I can honestly tell you, I have faith. I get up in the morning, I have faith today. God is going to move some mountains. And I have to be honest with you and say, there's other days I, I wake up in the morning and say, where is my faith? I don't even want to get out of bed. I just want to pull the covers over because I, I've got all these little problems, whatever it might be. And so faith is so important. That's what Hebrews is talking about in, in chapter 11. Let's go back to the verse uh, verses 6 and 7 to finish it up now. And it is impossible, listen, it is impossible to please God without faith. And so we have to have faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe, and that takes faith, that God, ha God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. And I stand here this morning as a testimony for the last 33 years because of our faith, because of our God-given faith, God has blessed. God has blessed. Some of you could give the same type of testimony. And so we have to have faith. We have to have faith. Lastly, look at verse 7, Hebrews chapter 11. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about these things. And had never happened before. Rain did not exist in the time of Noah. Uh, the world was basically what we call a greenhouse effect. And that's why people lived longevity of life. It, it was nothing for somebody to live 200 to 300 through 600 years. It's because the sun rays could not penetrate. And that's basically what begins to age us. And so the earth was beautiful, and it was a big, huge garden. And so, by faith, we believe this. But imagine God telling Noah, I want you to build this ark, and it's huge. It's huge. It's massive. 
just the size of it, uh, those that do the figures and such say that you could easily put 500 uh, train boxcars uh, in the ark. And so we know the animals came in uh, two by two. Now I want you to think of that. The animals have no soul, and yet God created them. He gave them instinct, and yet they walked in two by two. I, I wonder if you could have got... Uh, that many men and women, two by two, to walk in. I'm not going in there. But the animals had such faith at the command of God. Notice that he warned them about the things that were going to happen. The warning was for 120 years. But by his faith, Noah commanded uh, the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah stepped out by faith. He and his sons built this ark, and the people mocked him. And then the ark door closed, and he put pitch on it and sealed it. And he had to wait seven days. But I want you to think of that first drop of rain, because man had never seen rain. And then all of a sudden, rain hits the nose. Rain hits the shoulders. Rain begins to pour on top of your head, and then uh, the flood started coming. Because the Bible says that water came from the top and then water came from beneath. And we know that it rained and that ark floated so beautifully. Now listen to the faith factor. The ark was built big enough to hold people and man. The Bible says only eight people entered the ark. And so basically it was Noah and his family. But before we get into Genesis chapter 16, write down this verse. In Romans 10, 17, Paul says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The word of God, excuse me. This is why we come to church. I hope and pray you have a devotional time every morning. I hope and pray uh, you're going through the word of God. Uh, different than what we're going through. On Sunday mornings, the book of Acts. On, on Wednesday nights, we're in the Old Testament. Uh, we're going to be finish up, finishing up uh, the book of Ruth. But you need to get into Bible study on your own. You need to get into a, a regimentation of reading. Uh, you should read a several, uh, one or two chapters, whatever you want, in the morning. One or two chapters in the evening. And I can guarantee you that in a year span, you're going to look back and God is going to build your faith. He's going to build your faith. And so faith is what begins to drive Abraham. But it's not without sin. It's not without falter. And so let's go to Genesis chapter uh, 16. Uh, Hagar, the Egyptian handmaid, and her son Ishmael. And so here's Abraham with such faith, and he begins to falter. He disobeyed God. And now we had heard earlier that he had gone to Egypt. And he wasn't supposed to go to Egypt. And so you're going to have lapses of faith. Now, I'm going to use the name Sarah, and I'm going to use the name Abraham, and I might go to their first calling of their name, Sarai and Abram, but usually I, because I'm reading, I will say Abraham and Sarah. That's the name they were changed to later. And so notice verse 1. Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. You have to understand the culture. 
this was very difficult, having no children. And she had an Egyptian uh, maidservant whose name was Hagar. Interesting that the name Hagar means flight. And that's exactly what she's going to do. Now, at this time, the Hebrew nation uh, is not established yet. Abraham is going to be the father. But being in the Old Testament, there was not a lot of people. Procreation uh, was very vital. And many times in the culture, uh, even the Jews practiced this. You would have multiple wives because you had to bring that. You had to bring siblings on board. And so children were born uh, quite a bit, and they had big families and such. But notice in verse 2, So Sarah said to Abraham, See now, the Lord has uh, restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. You know, I'm sad to say this, but I wonder how many men would have said, no, can't do this. You and I are husband and wife. God said that the seed would come through us. And that's what Abraham should have said. But a typical man, well, you want me to go into her? Okay. But remember, because she's going to blame Abraham as we continue. But the impatience of Sarah, the impatience of Abraham. And those are small, minute lapses of faith. Uh, look at verse 3. Uh, Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, uh, her handmaid, and gave her to her husband, Abraham, uh, to be his wife. So it's legitimate. Uh, they were married after Abraham had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. The customs, the, the cultures, uh, even from Ur, even from Babylon, uh, it was easy to have multiple wives. And so he went in uh, to Hagar. Uh, she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress, speaking of Sarah now, became a despised in her eye. I mean, there's this animosity. There's this hatred. There's this staring, this sharpness, this vileness. Uh, these are the words translated here, a despise. And, and ladies, I think you can understand what's going on here. But yet they were disobedient to the Lord. Both they were. Notice verse 5, then Sarah said to Abraham, and look at how she turns it back on him. Uh, she blames him. My wrong be upon you, Abraham. I gave my maid unto your embrace, and when she saw that uh, she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. It's your fault, Abraham. That's what she's saying. You're the guilty one. Wait a minute, Sarah. You're just as guilty. Now, Hagar hates me. And you're going to see <laughs> that uh, Sarah returns the compliment. And so there's this hate-love relationship. And obviously, uh, Sarah's going to say, she needs to leave. In verse 6, so Abraham said to Sarah, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do uh, to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly, another strong word, uh, with her, she fled 
from her presence. What does her name mean? Flight. But she fled. I mean, she doesn't have to take that. Now remember, this goes on for 13 years. But God is going to appear uh, to Hagar. You know, Hagar's not the problem here. She's a servant girl. And so she follows the rules, the regulations of her mistress, of her owner. And even Hagar, you can consider her a woman of faith. Now the treatment was very harsh. Notice verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord notices this has to be a Christophany of Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, he would take a form and his name many times the angel of the Lord. This is not the first time. Watch as we continue. The angel of the Lord found her by the spring. Speaking of, uh, of Hagar, the spring of water in the wilderness. She's ready to flee by the spring on the way to Shur. And so the Lord, the Lord appears to this Egyptian handmaid. Was there enough in her of faith that she learned from Sarah? She learned from Abraham that she knows now that this is the Lord. In verse 8, and he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from? The Lord knows, but he needs some confession here. And where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, uh, Sarah. Why? Because she despised me. There was this deep hatred. And again, the angel of the Lord, verse 9, said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourselves under the hand. Now, here I see the faith of Hagar. I mean, this is not an easy task. She left. Because of the animosity towards her. I mean those stares that uh, daggers literally were coming out. And God says, I want you to be submissive now. I want you to return. And I want you to continue to serve your mistress. Uh, very important here because uh, uh, Ishmael had to be born. Ishmael has to be raised. I Ishmael has to be trained by Abraham. And so obviously, to me, God knows what he's doing. But God also knew Hagar's heart. And you see, God knew my heart. God knows your heart. God knows what you can handle. God knows what you can't handle. But we step out by faith. And God will take us by the hand, literally, and he'll lead us and guide us into all truth. In verse 10, again, the angel of the Lord, uh, said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, and so that they shall not be counted for uh, a multitude. God would bless the family tree of the descendants of Hagar, uh, Ishmael. The Arabs are a blessed people. Yes, in many cases, they're a thorn in the flesh to the children of Israel to this day. But that was not God's doing. It was Abraham and Sarah that wandered astray and went into the handmaiden, went into the Egyptian handmaiden. God had said that the seed would come from Abraham and Sarah. 
But because they waited so long, they were frustrated. And I think sometimes we can do that, church. If God tells you to wait, then you need to pray for patience. If God tells you to, uh, to wait and the patience come, you need to submit uh, to patience. Say, okay, Lord, I don't know what you're doing here, but I'm going to trust you, listen, by faith. In verse 11, again, the angel of the Lord uh, said to her, Behold, you are with child, Hagar, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. And it says, because the Lord has heard your affliction. The name Ishmael uh, in the Hebrew here means that God hears. God heard the cries of Hagar. She's concerned. There's a child within me. And so she's ready to flee because Sarah is despising her. In verse 12, look at the prophecy of Ishmael. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man. And every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren, the, the Arab nations. He had to be a wild man. He had to be fierce. Because he was going to lead his people. God would bless Ishmael. But he had to be crafty. He had to be clever. He had to be shrewd. He had to be a leader. And these come as gifts from God. And Ishmael was. And so will Isaac be. But there's a problem here. Back in Romans chapter 7, it speaks about the flesh and it speaks about the spirit. And they combat one against the other. And anytime we get involved uh, in the spirit nature and we bring in the flesh nature, there's always going to be a battle. And the question always is, well, who's going to win? The one you feed the most. And so we have to be a spiritual people. Notice verse 13. Uh, then she, this is Hagar, called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. I love that. For she said, here I also hear, have I also here seen him who sees me. God knows all things about us, church. So many times, you know, uh, I'm, I'm being afflicted. I'm going through my trial. And we can respond, Lord, do you know what I'm going through? And the Bible says he does. I want to give you three words. You should know them. These are the things. This is the nature of God. Number one. God is omnipotent, uh, that he is all-powerful. Uh, secondly, that God is omnipresent, that he is everywhere at the same time. Satan cannot do that. Thirdly, he is omniscient, uh, that he is all-knowing. These are the traits of God. These are the characteristics of God. And only God has these. And so he knows what's going on with Hagar. He knows what's going on with Abraham and Sarah. And I love what Hagar said here. Uh, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For he said, "I have I also here seen him who sees me. She acknowledges God. 
the one who sees all things. Mark this down, Psalm 139. It's the all-seeing eye of God. He sees all things. And too many times Christians want to be good in church, and that's good, that's rightfully so. But how do you act outside of the walls of the church? In verse 14, therefore, uh, the will, excuse me, therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. This is where she was at when we study back in verse 7. Observe it, she says. Observe it is between Kadesh and Beard. The well of living from the one who sees. That's the translation there. The Lord had found her at the spring in the wilderness back in verse 7. In verse 15, so Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael, the God who hears. God heard Hagar. And I want you to pick up on verse 16. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael uh, to Abraham. Thirteen years later, the son of the Spirit would be born, that is Isaac. And one thing to note, very important here, because of the disobedience of Abraham and Sarah, God did not speak to Abraham for 13 years. 13 years, God was silent. You see, there's repercussions when we disobey. There's, a, in a sense, chastening when we disobey. And then we wonder why these things are happening in my life and in your life. Was I obedient to the Lord or was I disobedient to the Lord? Now, here's a beautiful passage, and, and Paul's going to give us insight because, well, I disobeyed God. I'm done. No, you're not. The God we serve is a forgiving God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 17, listen to what he says here. The sin of this one man, he's speaking about Adam. The sin of this one man, Adam, it caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace, unmerited favor, and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man. Now, from Adam, this other man is Jesus Christ, the incarnate God. He took on flesh. He becomes one of us. He identifies with us. Now, let me give you a little bit of commentary uh, from Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Satan, the devil, his demons, they want us to think that our disobedience detours everything, takes it all apart. But it must become the permanent road for the rest of our lives. But this is a lie. Like Abraham and Sarah, we can confess our sin and accept God's cleansing. Please write this verse down. Never forget it. Memorize it if you can. In 1 John, John wrote three epistles, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If, and that's conditional, we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. 
Oh, I blow it, you blow it. I sin, you sin. But I have an advocate. The Lord Jesus Christ. And so, I believe we confess daily. Because we're in that realm of a sin nature. Even though we're in that realm of a spiritual nature. We learn to live with our mistakes. Yet there will be pain and regret. But God's grace will overcome us. Listen to this quote that was given by a man named Morris. And he says, The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. I wish I could tell you that I've never doubted God. That would be a lie. I wish I could tell you uh, that I've never never disobeyed God. Again, uh, that would be another lie. I wish I could tell you that I've never sinned. And you know that's a big lie. You see, we're all sinners saved by grace. We all make mistakes. And that's why we come back. If I confess my sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us. The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. Start afresh and anew, even the next day. Even the next day. Peter had come to Jesus and he says, how many times shall I forgive my brethren when obviously he sins against me? And he says, 70 times 7. 490 times. Listen, on a daily basis. For your brother sins against you and you're coming up to the uh, 700 and uh, mark and such, and you go, all right, all right, I just got to forgive him a few more times. And then it's the next day. And in all reality, you have to start again. So now look at Genesis chapter 17. The covenant sign, very important here. God created a sign as the covenant. Now the covenant's there. The reinstatement of the covenant. The promises of God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God's promises are sure. I can honestly tell you, if you want a sure thing, the Bible has the promises of God. But that doesn't mean that because I'm circumcised, that I'm complete, I'm done. That was a sign to separate you from the heathen nations. That's all it was. And they turned it in, listen, to a ritual, a rite, a custom, a tradition. And so in verse 1, Genesis 17, when Adam was 99 years old, excuse me, Abraham, when he was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am the almighty God, El Shaddai, walk before me and be blameless. Now the word blameless is tough. Uh, be complete. Be perfect. Abraham was to walk in perfection, blameless before the Lord. Uh, no one is perfect, no one is blameless, but the Lord. The Greek is saying uh, to walk morally, uh, to walk with integrity, uh, to walk in the truth of God, to walk in His truth. The New Testament be Christ-like. Be Christ-likeness. Follow Him. 
follow his teachings. Do what he says. Do I make mistakes? Do you make mistakes? The answer is yes. But when I make my mistake, I can confess my sin. The Bible teaches that I have an advocate. I have a lawyer for my defense. In 1 John, again, chapter 2, verse 1. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. And that is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Uh, The word advocate is the lawyer for my defense. The word advocate, he becomes my mercy seat. The word advocate, he becomes my covering. Oh, I sin daily, so do you. But I have an advocate with the Father. When the devil accuses you, and he does, Jesus will turn around, basically, and say, she's one of mine. He's one of mine. Now, that doesn't give us You know, carte blanche to go out and continue to sin. I desire to walk with God. I desire to please God like Enoch pleased God. Look at verse 2 now. And I will make my covenant. Here's the promise between me and you. And will multiply you exceedingly. These are the promises to Abraham. The covenant is still in place today. The promises of God. The blessings will come. Even as the blessings had come to Hagar for Ishmael. And God, I believe in my heart. God wants to bless us. God wants to bless you. He wants to bless me. He wants to bless Calvary Chapel. And he has blessed us. And he has blessed the church. But he also wants obedience. He also Desires obedience. Listen to the respect that Abraham shows in verse 3. And Abraham fell on his face. Time of obeisance. Time of worship and praise. Time of thanksgiving. A broken man, if you may. And God talked with him saying, remember this is 13 years later when you're looking at the scriptures. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. Promises of God. And you shall be a father of many nations. His name means father of a multitude. Always hang on to the promises of God. And always hang on to the scripture. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That was the promise given uh, to Moses. The promise that was given uh, to Joshua. And the promise that was given to all those that serve God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now the names finally change. No longer, verse 5, shall you uh, be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father uh, of many nations. Abram, basically in the Hebrew, meant high father. Now Abraham, listen to the extension. A father of a multitude. A father of many nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations, plural, of you. And kings, plural, shall come from you. Uh, We know King Saul. We know King David. We know uh, King Solomon. 
And the list just goes on and on. Especially when you get into 1 Kings and 2 Kings and there's a division. Israel, and then the other division is Judah. And there's many kings that were good kings that were bad kings. And yet God gave the promises. Look at verse 7. I will establish my covenant, my promise between me and you and, and your descendants after you in their generations. And here's the promise. Not just a covenant, but an everlasting covenant forever. To be God to you and your descendants after you. That's a promise to you and I. But when you look at the nation of Israel today in a whole, many do not believe in God anymore. Prosperity. Wealth. Fame. And I mean, the list goes on and it happens so much. I'm always intrigued when you study the background of the artists that sing. Especially some of these uh, black women that grew up in the gospel scene. They have great voices. And you find out, uh, I grew up with the music of Aretha Franklin. And when I looked in her background, her dad was a Baptist preacher. And where did she first sing? At church. At the church. But when fame comes in, finances come in, things begin to change. But the promise is an everlasting promise. Look at verse 8. Also, I give to you and to your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, the land of Canaan that belongs to God's people as an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Has this happened? No. When will it take place? I believe during the time of the millennial reign. In verses 9 and 10, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant. Abraham, you're the leader. You are to keep my covenant. You and your descendants after you throughout their generations. Now I want you to see the statistics today. The Jews claim Father Abraham. The Gentiles claim Father Abraham. Listen to this. The Arab nations claim Father Abraham. This is my covenant, verse 10, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child, uh, you shall be circumcised. Every male child. The covenant sign of circumcision. What about the Gentiles? Let's continue. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. What is today's sign of the covenant for the Gentile church? Am I to go get circumcised because I've come to the born again experience? The Bible says that was a sign to the Jewish people. But here's the circumcision for us. Here's the picture for us. We come to saving grace and God seals us by the Holy Spirit. That's my circumcision 
That's your circumcision. God gives us such grace. But listen to the law in the Old Testament. In verse 12, he who is eight days old among you uh, shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, uh, he who is born in your house or who is bought, listen, uh, servants, slaves, foreigners, who is bought with a price financially from any foreign nation or any foreigner who is not your descendant because they're under Judaism and they are supposed to be circumcised. He who is born to your, uh, in your house and he who is brought with you uh, for money must be circumcised. My covenant uh, shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Circumcision, very important to the Jewish faith. Even still today, on the eighth day, that child has to be circumcised. I want you to think of the technology in those days. They used a flint knife. <laughs> there was no uh, facilities, no doctors. Line up, boys. We've got to fulfill the, the covenant. And they did, even Abraham. But I want you to write this down. In the book of Deuteronomy. In chapter 30, verse 6, Moses said it so beautifully. It's the circumcision of the heart that needs to take place. But they put such an emphasis on, on the foreskin of a man, and yet it's the heart. Because in Ezekiel chapter 26, it tells us that God wants to take away that stony heart and to give you a heart of flesh. He wants to cut out pride. Anger, strife, jealousy, sexual perversion, and all the sin natures, drunkenness, drugs, you know, the alcohol, whatever it might be. God wants to cut those things away. And I can honestly tell you, 36 plus years ago, when I came to Christ, He cut my heart. And I hope and pray when you came to Christ, He cuts your heart. And he took away those things. And he gave me a heart after his heart. And so this is what is being said here. Look at verse 14. And the uncircumcised male child, who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, uh, that person uh, shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. You break the promise of God if you don't follow the Old Testament rule in the time of the Old Testament. In verse 15, Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, or Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai any longer, but she will be called Sarah. Interesting. There's several translations here, but this is the one that I chose, and that the name Sarai means quarrelsome. And she proved that in her arguments and her frustration with Hagar. But her name was changed to Sarah, which means princess. And I will bless her also and give you a son by her. The covenant was with Abraham and Sarah, not with Abraham and Hagar. Then I will bless her. 
And she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. The same blessing that was given to Abraham is now given to Sarah. Then Abraham fell on his face again. Listen to this one, though. He laughed. And he said in his heart, Shall a child be born to me, a man who is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is ninety-nine years old, bear a child? And see, again, just like Abraham and Sarah, we look at things in a human perspective. We look at the ramifications of the human mind. Well, you know, 99 years old, it's not going to happen. And Sarah's past childbearing age. And I want you to write this down. Is anything impossible with God? Back in Luke chapter 18, Jesus is having this dialogue with the rich young ruler. And basically he tells him, is anything impossible with God? And so in Luke, you need to read the whole context, but we don't have the time this morning. But Luke 18 verse 27, the things which are impossible with man are possible with God. The things which are impossible with man are possible with God. Like it or not, just like the rich young ruler, we limit God. Uh, we place God in a box. This is all he can do for me. Yeah, he can change the course of a tornado. He can bring forth rain. He can call back rain. He did that with Elijah. But how big is your faith? Well, let's ask the question with a question. How big is your faith? I have to ask you then, how big is your God? How big is your God? And I'll tell you what. We govern our lives by faith, like it or not. Elijah had such faith. God uh, stopped the rains, then he brought the rains. And he was fearful. I mean, he ran from Jezebel, remember? And so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more you know your God, the more faith he's going to give you. I mean, I was young and aggressive. And I was on fire for Jesus when we came here. We're going to have the biggest church. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And it was a short two years. We were able to buy this building and we couldn't. We did not have the money. We had no collateral. I'm going to tell you something very comical. Pastor Jay was with me then. He was part of the board. I had a house, but I had just spent everything. You know, we moved the money from the house to buy a trailer. It was cash, so we put that up as collateral. There was a couple of other guys that helped us out in collateral. And so the lady said, what about your assistant pastor? And so Jay went in, talked to her. I, I have a motorcycle, and I have this. And the lady said, you know what? Just keep it. Go back home. He had nothing that was collateral. But God knew. God knew what he was going to do. And we, God found favor for us. In a man over here at Citizens Bank, and he was able to sign a note for us, and he wasn't supposed to. He was supposed to take it to the board, but we were on a deadline. 
because they were going to auction off the building. And so we were able to get it for a song. And uh, that man that was one of the vice presidents there, a year later, they waited a year later, they canned him. And I talked to him later. I said, I, I really, I feel bad that you got fired. He goes, it needed to happen, Bob. I helped you. And in reality, they helped me. You see, God has a way of doing things. And sometimes we go, what? It takes faith. It takes faith. And Abraham said to God, look at verse 18. Oh, that Ishmael might live forever. Please don't forget Israel, Abraham is saying. Live forever before you. And so Ishmael, rightfully so, is his firstborn. And he's asking, what about his blessing? And Abraham knows that he was disobedient. Abraham knows that he was sinful. And so what about Ishmael? God was going to bless Ishmael. Ishmael was the son of the flesh, but God blessed him. Back in verse 10, God said about Hagar, and I will multiply Ishmael's descendants. Look at verse 19. Then God said, no, Sarah. He says, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son. Now, God is just setting it straight for Abraham. He's inquiring about Ishmael, rightfully so. But God said, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, which means laughter. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. God didn't throw out Ishmael with a baby in the bathwater. And all the descendants after him. I love this. And for Ishmael, look at verse 20. I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him. And will make him fruitful. And will multiply him exceedingly. Listen to this. He shall begat twelve princes. And I will make him a great nation. And you have to ask the question. Has God blessed the people of Ishmael? Has God blessed uh, the Arab nations. Yes. Yes, even though uh, they're a thorn in the flesh to Israel. They're good people. They're a good people. There's a handful that are radicals. We know that. And rightfully so, we need to be concerned about them. But God blessed Ishmael. Notice, we speak about the 12 tribes of Israel. Here's the 12 princes. Of the Arab nations. In verse 21. But my covenant. I will establish with Isaac. Whom Sarah shall bear to you. At this set time next year. God's promise. Over and over and over again. Then he finished talking with him. And God went up from Abraham. And so Abraham took Ishmael. His son and all who were born. And his house and all who were. Uh, bought with his money every male among them, the men that is, and of Abraham's house, and circumcised uh, the flesh of their foreskin, that every that very same day, as God had said to him. And so here's the obedience factor. Abraham was 99 years old 
when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, the signed covenant to Abraham. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. It's all part of the blessing. The foreskin had to come off. God is no respecter of person. And so here's Ishmael. Later, it will be uh, Isaac. And so it says that every same, that very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael. And all the men of his house, born in the house, or bought with the money, with a price, from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. To obey God, to obey God is the ultimate. So many times we desire to make promises to God, sacrifices to God, and what God wants from us is obedience. Is obedience. And so learn from Abraham. Learn from Ishmael. Learn from Isaac. Again, in Deuteronomy, the foreskin of the heart is what needs to be cut. In Jeremiah chapter 4, Jeremiah brings it forth. It's the heart that needs to be cut. Paul was accused of breaking the law in the book of Acts chapter 21 because he was not circumcising. It's interesting when we, we're going to continue in the book of Acts and we know that um, Timothy was half Jew and half Greek. He chose uh, to be circumcised. Just to comply. And when, when you look at Silas that ran with Paul, he chose not to be circumcised. And they came against Paul for that. Paul was not about circumcision. Paul was not about water baptisms. Paul was about the souls of man. That's what's important. That's what's important. Well, brother, I speak in tongues. You don't speak in tongues. That's a non-essential. Praise God if you have, you know, the gift of tongues. It's a prayer language. Do you have faith in God? Do you have faith in God? 